a prelude for children. The priests and priestesses brought the three sisters from the god void with the care of people handling raw flame. They stood them in the square of the city at penance, and all the representatives of the gods crowded around to stare at the children. None of them dared to touch the girls, at least not yet, since it was uncertain exactly what they might be. Three identical short figures with the same straw-coloured hair stood with their heads bent and their hands locked together in a small circle. It was impossible to say if their faces were similar, since that hair provided a knotty, dirty veil behind which nothing else was visible. One thing was for certain. They were shaking from the cold wind cutting through the square. Isobar, guardsman and representative of the goddess Mariki, watched all this unfold from his spot in the crowd surrounding the girls. He judged them to be of an age when someone should have been protecting them from the gaze of the high and mighty of Ravas. One glance through the crowd told him no parent was likely to emerge to save them. The eyes of the clergy gleamed with a variety of emotions, avarice, delight and fear. Glancing over his shoulder, Isobar saw they locked the gates leading into the square, so there were only those from the temples present. The citizens of Penance would not be able to see whatever came next. The heavy silence of the crowd did not bode well either, and he wished the children would at least bolt away from the regards of the priests and priestesses who pressed around them. The girls, who looked so tiny against the looming adults in their ragged clothes, did nothing to protest their innocence. Perhaps, Isobar thought, if they looked up with pleading, childish gazes, some of the heartless in the crowd would find their compassion, finally, and prevent whatever was about to come. Isobar stepped back among the mass of people until he found his own wife and child once more. He was painfully aware they were just as vulnerable as the three girls. The crowd, for all of its supposed holiness, could still turn feral. Anything could happen in the next few tense moments. Any one of the priests could conceal a knife, ready to plunge into their enemies, and there, on the sacred ground of the unique city, nearly everyone was an enemy. Father, do you think those little girls might be gods? At his side, Ninio slipped his hand into Isabar's and tried to peer around the few people between him and the Chosen. At his age, curiosity overwhelmed fear. His brown eyes were wide in his face, with not a jot of worry apparent. Isobar felt a deep stab of fear Ninio was there for this unexpected development. A journey to penance to view the annual Congress of Temples was supposed to be a treat for the boy. Yet, in an instant it appeared, they were swept up into a historic but dangerous moment. No one has come from the god void in generations, Kaya reminded them, her voice low and calm. And they do not look divine. A slight frown marred her face, even as she spoke reassuringly to their son. She had the hood of her sky-blue temple robes up around her face, the colour making her beautiful dark skin stand out in relief. Among the press of the crowd, she fumbled for Isabar's other hand and gave it a squeeze. 
They had been married long enough, he knew the signs. Despite her rank in the priesthood of Mariki, she was afraid, and that made a chill run up his spine. His wife was braver than he, more fearless in the face of nearly every challenge they encountered for their goddess. It was she who repelled the Rainbow Queen's soldiers from the Sky Keeper's chamber only last summer, yet something about the current situation was different. The hushed conversations around the still silent girls seemed to reach some kind of climax, and the guardsman knew his moment of choice was coming. Kaya's eyes locked with his, and Izobar saw there the same determination in his own heart. They might be married, with a seven-year-old boy made of their love, but there was nothing higher in the world than their devotion to their goddess. Izobar knew he had a job to do, and he could not stand back in the crowd to do it. Wrapping her cloak around their son, Kaya gave him a little nod. They didn't need words to communicate their roles. She would protect the child. He would save the rest. Kissing Kaya on the cheek, Izobar squeezed Ninio's fingertips before turning on his heel. After collecting his faith around him as best he could, Izobar shouldered his way between the people who belonged to other, lesser deities and managed to secure a spot at the outer ring of the circle. He felt the lack of his weapons deeply at that moment, but none was supposed to bring them to the Congress, even if it was one of the most dangerous places in Ravas. It was certain others were not so honourable. Izobar glanced around the faces of those near him and tried to judge their mood, but each of them was of different races and gods and trained in the art of deception. They kept their emotions deeply hidden and he could read little from them. The guardsman did not need to be a priest to taste the hunger in the air. No god had come from the void in five generations, and the stories said when one did it was on the wings of fire and magnificence. There had never been child gods, nor any that looked more like beggars than deities. Genuine pity immediately gripped him. If they were gods, they were poor ones, cast out into the world before their time. Up close he thought they looked to be only five years old, but in an age of starvation and deprivation they could be older. Drawing nearer, Isabar heard the faintest whispering between them. It was more an impression than actual words, meant to be shared between the three girls, but no further. He strained his ears to catch what they were saying, but no one else in the crowd commented on it. Surely he could not be the only one who heard it. Penance seemed like a strange place to come for some whispered and dangerous conversation. The city stood on a tabletop mountain, the closest place any living being could get to the god void. It was a pitiless location, populated by conniving people bent on gaining the upper hand for their gods. If there was a worse place for three young children to stumble into, Isobar could not imagine one. He had the sudden urge to gather them up and run for it, but he knew he would not get more than two steps before he was struck down by the weapons of a hundred gods in the hands of their priests. Kaya often called him too cautious, too slow to act, but it was not the time to change his nature. 
if he wanted to help the girls, he had to keep his head. Isobar watched as the crowd parted, and the arbiter came down the steps from the collection of finger temples that were the focus of penance. The Congress was nearly over. The children chose a most inopportune moment to supposedly walk from the void. Only another day or two, and they would have been merely pilgrims in penance. Instead, they stumbled into a pit of swamp vipers, made up of representatives from every one of the warring temples. With his crooked back, the arbiter looked as old as the mountain itself. He was cloaked in a strangely dilapidated form of temple robes, made up of strips of many colours and fabrics. Since he was not much taller than the children, he did not have to bend down to examine them. They did not so much as turn to acknowledge him as he poked his narrow nose in their direction. It seemed as if he might actually be sniffing them. The arbiter straightened, glancing around the expectant faces, and Isabar had the strange sensation. The old man was looking for advice from the crowd. It was obvious he had no idea what to say. Isabar wondered if the children could be something to do with the Zokas, who had no faith, no God, and were always trying to disprove the theists' beliefs. If that were the case, they were far more impressive and organised than he'd ever given them credit for. Who found them? The arbiter's voice was thin, reedy, and yet carried clear as a bell through the crowd. A tall, broadly built woman with violet-trimmed robes came forward. She was a sister of Kicha, Brother Rain, and she was too young to have so much attention directed at her. She flinched from the combined stares of the priests and priestesses, but managed to stammer out, A group of penitents was coming up the south road, more than fifty of them. I, my sisters were with them. So you can vouch they came from the void? The arbiter fixed her with a look Isabel was glad was not aimed in his direction. On the God's honour, she said without hesitation. And, and you may question the rest of us. He waved her away. I can smell the void on them as well as the rest of you can. His hand reached out almost, but not quite touching the head of one girl. It was as close to blasphemy as the old man was willing to go, though, because he snatched it back just as quickly. They show no sign of the pestilent chimera? One of the priests grabbed the closest child and yanked on her ragged clothes. The child's arms, legs and naked back were exposed. The skin was smooth and unblemished. She had no tacked-on skin or change in flesh tone to reveal a chimeric addition. The Rainbow Queen was called that because of her patchwork of skin, but necrotic poison had taken control of her and driven her mad. These children were not that at all. The Arbiter peered at her, his face folding into a cruel version of relief. Well then... The only question that remains is what is to be done with them. To have a little girl exposed to so many adult eyes like that was uncalled for. Isabel was about to lurch forward when another voice entered the fray. One at least should be mine. The voice grated on Isabel's ears, but then everything about Gentian Stonekeeper of the goddess Sarai rubbed him the wrong way. Take their memories and see what we can make of them. 
He had to work hard to keep the anger from his face as she pushed her way through the crowd. She was a short, round woman, with red hair nearly shaved to nothing, but still displaying a hint of white at the temple. At her side stood her homunculus, a mass of stitched-together flesh a foot taller than any of the mortals around it. Its head was ill-made, a bare covering of stolen meat stretched over a skull. But then, a creation like that was not made for durability. Isobar's keeper did not make humunculi, and therefore did not participate in the yearly battle for the right to build their finger temple a little further into the void. Standing so close to the stinking mountain of once-dead muscle, Isobar felt pride and gratitude to his goddess and her choices. Still, the homunculus was the reason Gentian dared to claim one of the strange children for her own. Its looming bulk was enough to push Gentian's claim as valid. The flutter of an argument ran through the circle of priests, like birds taking flight from a predator, but none protested loudly enough for their voices to be picked out. The wave-keeper of Neda, whose homunculus was defeated by gentians the day before, stepped forward and pointed a finger at the circle of girls. They are not gods, since they wear no raiment nor carry any of the signs. Perhaps they are merely half-wits, who wandered into the void and were spared to bring us something else. Progeny parts. People in the crowd nodded to each other, the tension running away from them as they perhaps realised it was the kind of compromise they could live with. Yes, that makes sense. Isabar heard the whispers around him, even as his gut screwed itself into a tight knot. Let Gentian keep one then, the wavekeeper said, his smile that of some deadly sea creature. But send the others to damnation, to the slavers. Let them grow the two girls for parts and see what we can make of them in the future. Three priests of gentians moved forward and placed their hand on top of the girls' heads. Isobar shifted uncomfortably. This was something done to heretic children when their god was destroyed. Impossible to do in adults. It did at least prevent massacres of children. One of the three looked up. Her knotted hair fell to one side and her eyes locked with Isobar's, they were pure grey in colour, very human and awash with fear. These were not gods. They were just children, like Ninio had once been, Isabar realised. Still, he watched as the priests muttered in the incantation, pressing the thumbs onto the girls' foreheads. Their eyes rolled back in their heads and they swayed on their feet. This day would be lost to them, and the priests could say whatever they liked to them. The smart thing to do would have been to walk away, go back to his family, and let the Congress have its way with the three girls. Yet, his goddess had not chosen him as her guardsman for his rational thoughts. She chose him for his bravery. And sometimes bravery meant doing the right thing, even when it was not the cleverest thing. Isabar knew he would not have been the man Kaya loved if he merely stood in place. Mariki disagrees on their fate. He said the words and followed up with action, moving forward, free of the crowd, singling himself out for notice. These are just children, nothing more, and their parents should be found before they are condemned to a life in the pits, or... 
Here he turned and stared directly at Gentian, with the stonekeeper. She folded her hands in the sleeves of her robes. You should be silent, guardsman. Your keeper elected not to participate in the competition of this congress, and thus she has no voice here. Isobar glanced into the crowd, which so far made no move to take hold of him. Among their number he saw Sawos, the bannerman of his goddess. The look on his face was set and stern, but Isobar noticed he managed to position himself close, just in case. It was only a small comfort, but it was something. We may not have built any homunculi, but in penance every deity has a voice. Isobar turned to the crowd and they began to nod in unison. It was the one thing still held sacred amongst all the warring temples. And Marikis will not be silenced by anyone from earth to sun. Gentian stood still like a small angry statue glaring at him, perhaps judging the mood of those around. We are the winners of this year's competition, she said finally. And your keeper should really have built a homunculus instead of sending a pitiful guardsman to defend what remains of her honour. The creation at her side lurched suddenly to life. Isabel was not caught by surprise. He watched Gentian for the last three years, and though she was of the earth, she was anything but slow and thoughtful. He slipped back from the homunculus, dodging under its massive swing easily enough. A competition for the children, then? The arbiter's voice rose thin and reedy above the sudden cheers of the crowd. They were ready to be entertained after far too much thinking, Isabel realised. The guardsman had no time to decide how he felt about this particular turn of events, because the homunculus came at him, and he had nothing with which to defend himself. He heard his name called and caught a glimpse of Saos to the right, tossing the banner to him. The egg-blue fabric fluttered uselessly, but the spear it was attached to was sturdy when he wrapped his fingers around it. As the homunculus swung again, Isobar deflected the blow, though the power of it took him down to one knee. The crowd around him was not allowing much room to move, and to survive the ferocity of the creation's attack, the guardsman needed to manoeuvre. He caught a glimpse of the three children, one pulled back tight against the grinning gentian, the second held by the arbiter, but the third remained where she was placed, watching the battle unfurl around her. Isobar saw that same baffled look in Nenio's eye, it was a moment of distraction and weakness that cost him dearly. The homunculus arched back and threw out one of its massive feet. The blow was enough to break even the stout spear of his goddess in half, but it saved his ribs from being crushed. Isobar had the breath knocked out from him and found nowhere to roll away from the homunculus as it pinned him to the ground with one massive foot. He was only able to see a slice of what was going on. He heard the wail of a child, the first from any of the sisters, and then the surge of cries from the crowd of priests and priestesses. Some of them were delighted at his fall, others apparently horrified and calling out for mercy. None of that mattered to Isobar because he saw his family from that position. Even as the crushing weight of the homunculus bore down on him, his eyes locked on Kaya and Ninio. She was guiding their son away from the tumult, 
the tears ran down her cheeks. But then Isobar saw his wife push Ninio away from her, deep into the crowd. They were well matched, he and she, for she could not let an injustice happen either. Isobar couldn't look away as Kaya turned her beautiful face to the sky and spread her arms out wide so her cloak hung from her fingertips like wings. He wasn't surprised when a thousand gleaming insects leapt from within her clothing into the air. For an instant it produced a shining halo around her body, lending her the appearance of a devotional altar image of Mother Sky. No priestess was supposed to bring progeny into penance, but somehow Kaya knew they would be needed. She was always more prepared than he. The little bejeweled creations of emerald and sapphire sprang into the crowd, biting, stinging, perhaps even poisoning as they went. Trapped beneath the homunculus, through the pain, Isobar smiled. He recalled her words. It is the smallest things people are most afraid of. The wolf has nothing on the terror one buzzing insect can cause. Everyone around Kaya began to run in blind panic, but Isobar, pinned in place like a collected insect, could only watch as his wife strode towards him, a calm eye in the centre of the storm. In one of the strangest moments of his life, everything seemed to slow down. He observed in a strange, dispassionate way the track of tears on his wife's cheek, the flutter of her cloak around her as she strode towards the children. Isobar stretched out his hand towards her, almost catching hold of her clothing as she passed him, for it was not her husband she set her eyes upon. While her progeny darted around, causing mayhem, Kaya snatched up one of the girls, and then she ran. Her lithe figure bobbed and weaved between the chaos the crowd had devolved into. As she dashed by Isobar, there was no time for words, and he caught her eye and saw there the determination and strength that had always been hers. Priest swung at her, and without missing a beat, with the child still cradled against her, she sent him crashing back with a kick to the midriff. It was all mad, impossible, and utterly Kaya. Isabel struggled harder against the homunculus, cursing and straining to get free. Perhaps Gentian had better things to worry herself about, because the creation released him with a slight grunt and ambled towards a knot of people around his mistress. Scrambling up from the ground, the guardsman ran, shoving priests out of his way, swearing and calling Kaya's name until his voice broke. His fist connected with jaws, his elbow with soft bellies and his knee with vulnerable body parts. He couldn't see Ninio anywhere, but the child was small, swift and Isobard taught him how to hide. The guardsman shoved a priestess out of his way just in time to catch a glimpse of his wife ahead of him. She reached the gates, and calling on the might of Mariki, Kaya burst through them, sending them ringing to the ground. That was his last glimpse of her sky-blue cloak fluttering in the sharp wind between surging figures. She was not alone. Gentian, her homunculus, and a dozen others were hot on her trail. He screamed her name as the cloaks of the others obscured his view, and then the crowd swallowed him up again. Everything was heaving madness around him, he fell, rolled, cut and bruised left and right, knowing if he did not get up soon he would be crushed. Somehow he got his feet under him and staggered towards where he thought the gates were. The cries of the pursuers ahead made no sense, though. She fell! The river! She fell! The pagan is dead! 
pushing his way through the crowd, punching and striking whoever got in his way, feeling blood trickle from his knuckles, Isobar found the river. Only one flowed from penance. They called it the bitter tear. It was a fearsomely fast one that bubbled up from the centre of the tabletop mountain and dropped away off the end of the land into the sky. It was a force of nature as mysterious and deadly as the god void itself. The priests and priestesses, angry and panting, stood on the edge of the channel that it carved in the stone of penance. They had the look of hounds with the scent of blood in their nostrils when prey miraculously eluded them. This time, though, there was no miracle. Senseless with disbelief, Isobar dropped at the rim of the river, hands clenching and unclenching on the stone. His eyes ran over the seething water, and as much as he scanned the river, Kaya and the child were not there. It was as if they were swallowed by a god and snatched up to another place. If only that were true. It was not. They were gone. The savage fact was, the river dumped its contents over the ragged edge of the tabletop, down hundreds of feet to the hard earth below. Staggering to his feet, Isobar ran along the river edge and followed it to the point of no return. He didn't want to believe in facts, but there was the place where the water screamed as it tumbled over into nothingness, hissing and burbling despair that matched his own. For a moment, Isobar considered diving in, following them into the oblivion of the fall. It was a tempting thought, until he heard other words that stopped him. Father! Father! Ninio called him back. The child ran through the scattering of curious priests and priestesses to find the guardsman. His warmth and need collided with Isobar's despair. Whatever those girls were, they cost Isobar greatly. But he could not forget his son. Kaya was gone, and that meant so many terrible things he never wanted to contemplate, but still had to deal with. Wrapping his arms around Ninio, Isabar could not pull his gaze away from the fall his wife and the nameless child had taken. Why had the children come to penance when it was only to end like this? Craning back his head, Isabar sent those questions winging to Mother Sky and hoped one day to find the answer. <laughs>